Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Father, we are, we are an unashamedly needy people. Um, what we are about to do is not a, an academic exercise or a mental exercise. It's a, a spiritual exercise. And so we ask, Spirit of God, that you would open our ears. I ask, Spirit of God, that you would help me to be faithful to the text and to what your Holy Spirit is wanting to do this morning. In Jesus' name. So we continue with the story of Samson this morning. Last week we um, talked about Samson's birth, and this week we continue that story. Uh, Throughout the book of Judges, we've been talking about what is called the cycle of apostasy, which is basically the Israelites um, sinning and then God leading them into captivity because of their sin. Then the Israelites crying out to God and saying, God, will you rescue us from this oppression? God rescuing them uh, through one of the judges, and they live in peace for a while, and then they start sinning again, and the cycle continues. However, this morning it's a little different, uh, because this morning in Judges 14 and 15, the Israelites don't cry out. There is this sense that the Israelites have become accustomed to their captivity. And so this is, this is actually where the story becomes sadder and sadder. Because not only do the Israelites not recognize their oppression and captivity, they've become accustomed to it. Um, at the end of the story of Samson, usually there's the judges, and it says, and the judges ruled, and there was peace for 20 years. And the story of Samson ends with, and Samson ruled for 20 years. That is it. And so we become accustomed, and we don't recognize a lot of the kind of environments that we're in. Some of you know that, um, that Car and I have an, an Airbnb, and we had a couple uh, that, do you remember when it got cold and rainy, when we finally hit fall, right? It was a, a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and this couple left our Airbnb in shorts and a t-shirt, and I was like... Karen sent me this text. She's like, where are those guys from? You know, how are they dressed like that? And I said, they are from Alberta, Canada. So, you know, so for them, this is like summertime, you know. They are accustomed to very, very cold weather. Their bodies have become accustomed to it, you know. Um, I remember the first time I went to Chino. Um, Karen and I were invited for a meal, and we parked the car, we got out of the car, and I was like, what the, what is that smell? I thought we had hit something with our car, and I was like looking around to see what had happened, and, and this couple came out, and, and, I, and they said, hey, we're so glad you're here. I'm like, what is that smell? And they're like, what smell? What are you talking about? They'd become nose blind to the fact that they'd lived in Chino. Does anyone here live in Chino? Okay, good. Wow. Last week, Alabama. This week, Chino. You know. Okay. We look at the story of Samson, who both Samson and the Israelites had become accustomed to a way of life that was completely different from what God had actually led them into. Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite. And well, he was a Nazarite, but he was supposed to do things that were kind of over and above the average Israelite. 
But as we see in the story, not only is the low bar not being met, but the high bar of him being a leader and acting in a way that is specifically distinct and unique is not happening. He's a deeply flawed and sinful individual, and he functions out of his brokenness again and again and again. But he's more complicated than he looks, because a lot of his decisions come out of a sense of legitimate longings. And so I'm going to try and kind of buzz through a lot of the story of Samson. I know many of you that have grown up in the church are like, I know the story. But we know the story is a PG story. We know the story is PG-13 and M, right? So... So maybe you don't know the whole story. The last line that we left in the narrative is Samson saying, go and get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And throughout the book of Judges, there is this consistent dichotomy between what is right in the eyes of God and what is right in the eyes of man. And Samson is saying, I want you to go get her for me. Get who? Well, what he wants is he wants a Philistine wife. And so on his way, uh, with, his, with his parents to go and meet the family, this lion jumps out at Samson, and the Bible says that he tears it apart like one would tear apart a goat. And I'm like, sure, because tearing apart a goat is just so much easier, you know what I mean? I'm like, I, I'm Greek, we have lamb often, I've never actually been able to tear a lamb apart, you know? Um, and so it says he tears this lion apart, and um, a couple of weeks, he goes back to claim his bride, and there are, uh, there's a beehive in the carcass of the lion. And he kind of, uh, kind of files that in his memory. And while they go to a drinking party, and this is important, because number one, a Nazarite shouldn't touch anything that is dead. Number two, a Nazarite really should not be at a drinking party. Um, while they're at the drinking party, he says, hey, I want to tell you a riddle. Uh, and so he tells, he, he proposes this riddle because he says, out of the strong came something sweet. And so he's, he's saying to them, like, what am I talking about? And so it says for seven days, his wife or his betrothed tried to seduce him and nagged him to the point at which he was vexed to his soul. And then he finally tells her the riddle. And the riddle is basically the beehive in a lion. And so she tells the Philistines um, this story, and he is completely embarrassed, because he, here he is, the strong man, he's torn this line apart, he's given them a riddle that they can't, um, that they can't come up with, and then he says to, to them, if you had not manipulated my wife, you wouldn't have got this. And out of anger, he goes and he kills 30 men, and he takes their clothes, and he gives them to the bridal party and abandons his wife. Uh, a couple months later, he realizes, actually, he wants this wife that he's abandoned, he wants her back. So he goes back, and he's like, I, I want to go into my wife. I, I want to know her the way a man knows a woman. Uh, anyway. And so <laughs> he had a specific agenda. So, so the father of the bride says, no, we can't do that because when you abandoned her, we actually gave her to one of the bridal companions. And so he gets angry again. And he grabs these foxes and he ties their tails together. I'm like... I would just think about that. Like, how do you... And they're alive. And then he sticks a torch in between their tails, and he sets them off into the wheat fields, olive groves, and the vineyards, and burns all of the Philistines' grain. You know, this is a major retaliation. The cycle of retaliation continues because then the Philistines say, fine, then we'll take that woman that you wanted and her dad, and we'll throw them into the fire. And so... 
the cycle of violence continues with Samson. So after that, he decides, okay, now I've had enough. He goes and he, he hides in a cave, and then the Philistines go to the rulers of Judah, and they say, you need to give us Samson, otherwise we're going to attack you. And so Judah hands over their judge, tied up in ropes. They tie him up nice and tight, and they deliver him to the Gentiles. And in that, in that moment, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he broke the, uh, the ropes, and he took a donkey's jawbone, and he killed a thousand men. Okay? There's probably about a hundred people in here. That's ten times the amount of people that you would kill with a donkey's jawbone. That is pretty impressive. I mean, from one side, it's pretty impressive, okay? I mean, you've got to admit, this is one man with a donkey's jawbone. He throws the donkey's jawbone away, and this is where we kind of uh, pick up the story. Now, Samson was very thirsty, so he called out to the Lord, You are the one that has allowed this great victory to be accomplished by your servant's hand. Am I going to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the circumcised? So God split open the hollow rock in Lehi, okay, and water flowed out of it. When Samson drank, his energy returned, and he was recharged. Thus, that place is still called the spring of him who called. I think the, the challenge with the story of Samson as we see it is that there is this illegitimate pursuit of legitimate desires, there's an illegitimate pursuit of legitimate desires. It's not illegitimate for Samson to want to be loved. It's not illegitimate for Samson to want to have a wife. But the problem is that we see in Samson's life is that he continues in his actions to be in increasingly dangerous and violent situations. He escapes by God's Spirit and therefore believes that his actions have no consequences. He takes greater risks becomes more impulsive, reactionary, and immature. And he becomes what is a sensual being. Now, most of us, when we think of sensuality, we, we, we connect it with sex. And in this story, it is very much connected with sex. But the idea of being driven by your senses is the idea of sensuality. You are driven by your desires and your feelings. And the reality is that an unrestrained pursuit of legitimate desires in an illegitimate way will lead us to being blind and captive and broken, just like Samson ends up being. So how do we know that we are pursuing legitimate desires in an illegitimate way? Well, the first thing is that we don't pray the way in which Samson prayed. Our prayers are generally quite immature. If we are pursuing legitimate desires in an illegitimate way, the first way we can tell that is by the way in which we pray. Do you notice how Samson prays after this? Who is the center of his prayer? He is. You know, if a thousand men had come to kill me, and I'd managed to escape because of the grace and blessing of God, the first question I would be asking is not that I'm thirsty and I need water. The first question I would be asking is, how did I get here? How did I get to a place where my friends and countrymen, those that I'm supposed to be leading, have handed me over to the enemy. God, how did, I, how did I get here? This is the first time 
that it's recorded that Samson is actually praying. And his prayer is consistent with his character. His prayer is emotional, it's demanding, and it's selfish. Yet there's this weird sense in which even in this emotional, demanding, and selfish prayer, he still understands that it's God that has brought the victory. You know, the, the challenge for us is that in times of stress and pain, we, our prayers are either absent or they tend to sound like Samson's. God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm hurt. God, this, God, that. And we are not asking, God, what about me do you want to show me that helps me understand how I got here? Just because we see one aspect of God or see a situation does not mean that we can fully see everything that is going on. It doesn't mean that we still aren't deceived or blinded by our own desires or wounds. Now remember, Samson is, has both illegitimate, uh, is both pursuing in an illegitimate way, but he's also wounded. He was betrayed by the woman he's supposed to marry. So there's this both, there's this sense of injury and iniquity. There's a sense of like, I've been hurt, and at the same time, I've also done things that I shouldn't have done. Are we allowing the Spirit to search us, to reveal us, to expose us? Are we expecting to hear God? And here's another plug for our Hearing God module. That's why we're doing it. The second thing that tells us that we are pursuing legitimate means, uh, legitimate desires in an illegitimate way is that we repeat destructive patterns in our lives. Judges 16 verses 4 says, Sometime after this, Samson fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah, and the ruler of the Philistines confronted her and said, Seduce him, and we'll find out what gives him such great strength, and we can overpower him so that we can tie him up and make him weak. Then we'll each pay you 1,100 pieces of silver. That is a lot of money. We don't know how many lords there were, but we know at least there was more than one. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what gives you such great strength, and how you can be tied up, and made weak. So Samson replies to her, if someone ties me up with seven fresh bowstrings that aren't dried out, I'll become weak just like any other person. There's no subtlety to her question here, right? I mean, if you're confronted with this, you're like, Delilah, you could have been a little more subtle with this. Like, hey, when do you feel the strongest? Just asking in a very general sense, you know. But she's like, tell me what gives you great strength and how we can tie you up and make you weak. Now, at this stage, nothing has happened, so you can think, okay, you know, maybe he just is not getting this. Maybe he is just a jock, and he's thick as two bricks, you know? But this is the problem. When you are betrayed, you are a little more broken. When you're a little more broken, you become a little more desperate. When you're a little more desperate, you continue the cycle of being open to unsafe people and unsafe situations. And so he's not hearing a number of things that he should hear. Firstly, he should have heard his first wife saying, tell me the riddle, tell me the riddle, tell me the riddle for seven days until eventually he told her. He's not hearing that. Proverbs 5 verse 3 says, the lips of a mysterious woman drip honey and her tongue is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her, her feet go down to death her steps lead to the grave. The Proverbs that he would have learnt as a Nazarite have become a faint whisper, and they've been drowned by his pain 
by the nagging and manipulation because our desires and feelings often obscure simple logic, wisdom, and reason. I don't think Samson needed the voice of God in that moment to say, you are in a dangerous situation. I think simple logic and wisdom would have told him that. Now, I'm not saying we deny our feelings. This doesn't mean we become stoic and cynical, protective, or insular. Because Jesus, in a time like this, says to his disciples, I am very sad. My soul is vexed to death. It's the same phrase that is used of Samson multiple times. Stay here. Keep alert with me. What am I going to do? He went a short distance farther, fell on his face, and prayed, My father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. Samson's praying in a very selfish, self-centered way. Jesus' prayer is full of emotion and feeling. He's not denying that, but he's saying, God, this is hard, this is difficult. Not my will, but yours be done. The third thing we do when we are caught in this pattern of trying to fulfill legitimate desires in illegitimate ways is that we rely on our own strength. Verse 10, Delilah says to Samson, you made a fool of me. Now, now remember, she tied him up with a bowstrings, and then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and Samson breaks bowstrings. Not a big deal. I think I could break bowstrings. You know, they're like guitar strings. You know what I mean? That's what they are. Um, and so he breaks them, and he beats them up, and they leave. Now, this is number two. You made a fool out of me. Now, please tell me how you can really be tied up. Are you kidding me? He replied to her, if someone ties me up with new ropes that haven't been used for work, I'll become weak just like any other person. Then what happens? She does that. She ties him up with new ropes. She says, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks the ropes, beats up the Philistines. They leave. Number three, verse 13. Delilah says to Samson, up to now you've made a fool of me and you've lied to me. Tell me how you can be tied up. He responded to her, if you weave the seventh braid of my hair, okay, just pick the seventh braid of my hair and weave it into the fabric in a loom, so it's, it's one of those um, devices that make material out of wool and stuff, I guess, okay? <laughs> Pull it tight, then I'll become weak. I'll become like any other person. Now, we look at this exchange, and we think to ourselves, how gullible and stupid is Samson to not recognize what is happening? Now, remember a couple of things. He's not a man of prayer. He's caught in a destructive cycle of brokenness and sin. But now this is the thing. He thinks he can handle it. I don't think it's inconsistent with his character to look at this portion of the text and say that he is playing with Delilah. I mean, come on. Seven bowstrings? Uh, the Philistines are upon you. Okay, okay, whatever. Uh, seven new ropes. Okay. Uh, you know what, let's really mess with her. Uh, you know, take my hair, tie it into the fabric in the loom, let's do that. He's in a place where he believes that he can handle it. This is where addiction has led to denial. This is where not only is he not a man of prayer, stuck in cycles, now he believes I can handle it. So dangerous. Because when we get there, we get to number four, where we trust the wrong people. Verse 15, Delilah says to him, now, she's tried this three times. 
This is attempt number four. How can you say I love you? Okay? You should have serious red flags when any sentence regarding you and the relationship says, how could you love me if? Or how could you love me unless? When you won't trust me. Three times now you've made a fool of me and not told me what gives you such strength. She nagged him with her words day after day and begged him until he became worn out to death. Also that his soul was vexed to death. I mean, anyway, I do not know what that's like. I don't. I don't. I, I, can, I can imagine that that would tear your soul apart. Just being nagged consistently to be able to do that. Verse 17, he tells her all that is in, her heart, in his, his heart. He told her his secret. So Samson's idolatry of women has now made him weaker than he's ever been. He's weak and he's blind, except he doesn't know it yet. He will become ultimately weak and blind, but, I mean, this shadow is so amazing. The thing that he has made an idol is now in control of his life. It's, it's hard for us to stomach this, right? I mean, even though he is an unsympathetic character, we're like, oh my goodness, this woman, you know, she's nagging him. She's going to get paid a fortune to do this. But we're not realizing that he's responding because his soul has become so twisted. Now, it's usually men that use this line, if you love me, then. It's interesting here that this is what this woman uses to manipulate the so-called strong man. I know that even as we sit here, there are those that have been betrayed by people that you've given your whole heart to. But you've told them what's in your soul and it's been used against you. And that, that's a devastating thing. That's hard to recover from. Or maybe you're not in this place of prayerlessness Maybe you're not in patterns of brokenness. Maybe you haven't been betrayed. Maybe you aren't arrogant like he was playing games with Delilah. Maybe you are just worn out. Your soul is vexed to death. I can tell you one person that will never betray your trust, that holds your heart with a sense of intimacy and protection is Jesus. Why? Because he already knows your heart. One of the privileges that we have as those that are in Christ is to actually go to the one that holds our heart and actually know that we are fully protected and guarded, never to be betrayed. You can tell him all your heart. Lastly, we, we don't discern the presence of God. In the end of all this, she calls out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and he thought... I'll escape just like all the other times and shake myself free. But he did not realize that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him, put out his eyes, took him to Gaza, bound him with bronze chains, and he worked grinding a mill in the prison. Do you know who usually grinds mill? A donkey. So here he is. Blind, shaved head, grinding mill. Blind, captive, broken. God is with me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able 
to kill the lion. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to kill these 30 men. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to kill these 1,000 men. I wouldn't have been able to break these ropes. It leads to this deepening pattern of sin and recklessness and danger. The saddest and most horrifying line in all of this narrative is, he did not know that the Lord had left him. This week has been a difficult week in the context of one of, one of our values as we preach is to preach from your life and make sure that what you are preaching, you are living. And so initially, I was like, I don't really connect with the story of Samson very much. I certainly don't in terms of strength, physical strength. But then the Spirit of God said to me, Nick, are you sure? Because are there moments where you have taken my grace and blessing to be an approval of your behavior? Are there moments where you think that because there is blessing on your life, that the choices that you're making are automatically godly? And that there aren't consequences for what you're doing? I mean, let's be honest. It would be so much easier, right? If we did something or thought something that was not in line with God, and we got that lightning strike right, right in that moment, right? Boom! Or you think of something, or you're about to be tempted, and God's like, boom! Don't do that. But when that doesn't happen, we take the grace and kindness of God that is meant to lead us to repentance. And what happens is what Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians. It begins to sear our conscience. And we begin to think, oh, there isn't, there, there isn't an automatic response to me pursuing this legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Oh, maybe I'll just continue down that road. And then maybe we end up with this sense of, and he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, Nick, the Bible says that Jesus will never leave us, and, and that is true. Scripture does say and teach that once we are united with Christ, we will never be separated from his presence. That is a positional, functional truth. However, we can be in a place where we don't experience the felt presence of God, his fellowship, his communion, more importantly, his leading and intimacy, because we have chosen to push that away. Ultimately, though, God has his way. This ceases to become about Samson, and it becomes this challenge between the Philistine god Dagon and Yahweh. And they're in this massive temple of Dagon, and we pick up in verse 20. I mean, we pick up in verse 28. Then Samson called out to the Lord. So what's happened is they're, they're in this temple in Dagon, and they are so excited that the champion of Israel, the one that talks about Yahweh, is now captured. And so they say, let's bring him in, all chained, and let's get him to perform for us. And so like a jester, they bring him in, and Scripture says, and he performed. I don't know what he did. But what we do know is, I'm sure it was full of insult. It was full of the kind of thing that Samson was not used to. Then Samson calls out to the Lord. They put him in between these two pillars. And he calls out to the Lord, Lord, please remember me. Make me strong just this once more, God, so that I can have revenge on the Philistines. Just one act of revenge for my two eyes. 
He pushes the pillars and the whole temple of Dagon comes crashing down. Scripture tells us that he killed more people in his death than he ever did in his life. And he killed a lot of people in his life. Now, the weird thing is in Hebrews, we, we spoke about this. In Hebrews, Samson is mentioned as one of the heroes of the faith. And you're like, wow, this really is revisionist history, you know? I mean, the hero of the faith, you know? Uh, Barak is even mentioned as a hero of the faith. But how do we make sense of that? Because for the first time, we see him not relying on his own strength. For the first time, we, we see him recognizing that God is the source of it. This is where his faith is activated, his very flawed faith in a flawless God. Now, do we really think that the Philistines, now knowing the source of his strength, would have allowed his hair to grow so long, and that it was just this magical sense of his head grown, because that's what we learned in Sunday school, right? His hair grew back, and then his strength was there. That's not true. He wouldn't have needed to ask for strength if he had already had it. He recognizes finally that God is the one that strengthens him, not his hair. And the narrative starts with a man, a broken man, I mean a powerful man. It starts with a man who appears to be strong and powerful, but is actually weak. And the narrative ends with a man that is weak, defeated and impotent, but he's made strong and more powerful than they could have anticipated. The most triumphant and faithful act that Samson performed was in his death, and an act that brought freedom and victory for God's people in that moment. Band, you can come up. You know, as I, as I read the story and prayed through the story, I'm just astounded by the massive similarities, shadows, and differences between the life of Samson and Jesus. You know, the, the, the death of Samson and the death of Jesus are, are, are things that ultimately brought deliverance, but in very, very different ways. So the similarities are amazing. An angel comes to Samson's mom and says, you will have a son and he will free you from the Philistines. An angel comes to Mary and says, you will have a son, but he will save people from their sins. Both are sold out for money. Both are betrayed by a close friend. Both are handed over to their Gentile oppressors. Both are tortured for the entertainment of people. And both seem defeated by their enemies. However, this is where the paths diverge. Because Samson in that moment cries out for vengeance. God help me for vengeance for my eyes. Jesus on the cross cries out for forgiveness. God forgive them for they know not what they do. Samson dies in disobedience. And Jesus dies because of our disobedience. Samson's victory was temporary. We know that because we cover the next judge. And the reason there's a next judge is because Israel is in oppression once more. Jesus' death brings about a once-for-all victory forever. Samson's death led to the death of many. Jesus' death leads to eternal life 
for everyone that places their faith in Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 21 says, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies with Him in your minds, which you showed by your evil actions. But now He has reconciled you by His physical body through death to present you before God as a people that are holy, faultless, and without blame. The biggest difference? Samson is dead. Has been for a long time. Jesus is alive. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, not just welcoming our praise, but praying for us. And Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. You may be blind. You may be captive. You may be broken. You may have a dormant or selfish prayer life. You may be pursuing sensuality to heal your brokenness. You may be stuck in patterns and cycles of sin. You may have been abused and manipulated by people close to you. Or you may think like Samson, I got this. I'll just break off the chains just like I did last time. Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death. Jesus is seated at the right hand listening to our prayers. Jesus has healed our brokenness, broken our cycles, and will never betray or abuse our trust. He has the power to forgive and cleanse and heal us. We don't have to pretend to be strong. Because this much I know, in that moment, even when he had his hair cut, I know that if he had cried out to the God of all grace, that God would have helped him. And it doesn't matter how tied up you are, it doesn't matter how many times the cycle has happened, you cry out to the God of grace, he will give you the strength you need. Let's pray. Jesus, we admit that we are flawed. We admit that we are broken. But I want to thank you that your grace is flawless. I want to thank you that in the midst of our brokenness and our pain, we are able to reach out to you to break those things. In the midst of our illegitimate pursuits, you are able to rescue us. And I want to pray, God, as we just respond in worship, Spirit of God, that you would speak, that you would heal, that you would free you would remind us that we don't need to pretend to be strong. You would remind us that we don't need to get stuck in the cycle of longing that you are able to fill that. And Jesus, I want to pray especially for those people that are just sitting here now remembering their own failure, remembering the betrayal of close friends. Spirit of God, just bring you here now. Just bring your tangible presence. Because I want to thank you that your presence is always with us. That we will never taste a sense of being alone. We may feel alone. We may feel that you are not near. But we know that you are God. Come and meet with us, Spirit of God.
take communion this morning, I just wanted to frame um, communion with this verse that Nick shared um, during the preach. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your mind, which was shown by your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are whole, uh, holy, faultless, and without blame. So um, let's take the bread as a, in remembrance of his body and how he was a living sacrifice for us. Um, despite us being in our sins and running opposite direction of us, he has sacrificed his body for us, so let's take the bread. And we take the cup in remembrance of Christ's blood that he spilled for us to reconcile us to our Father um, and to cover our sins, so let's take the cup. couple ways or, and a couple people that I think could respond. Um, Michaela has um, an, in, a type of person or an individual that um, she has an encouragement for. And then um, Sean, I saw you. Would you mind speaking into what you shared earlier as well? Michaela, can you share first? Yeah, so I just had a sense that um, there was someone or maybe some people here um, who are holding on to hurt so big that it feels like heartbreak. And um, the tendency or the solution that you are leaning towards is to harden your heart. It's almost like putting a cast on your heart. It's not going to heal your heart. It's just going to make it um, make you hard and make it more difficult for for God to speak and work in your in your heart and in your life but he wants to mend your heart he wants to bring life to you and so um, yeah if you feel like you're holding something heavy that just feels like heartbreak um, and you can feel yourself tending toward um, shutting down and, and building up those walls um, God has life for you and um, yeah I'd just love to, to pray with you that you would see life. Good morning. My name is Sean. Um, this morning as we were gathering for pre-service prayer, um, I'm usually rather adept with words when I pray, and I found myself asking the Lord that, that he would conflict people this morning, and that's odd to me. That doesn't fit, you know, neatly in my theological framework. So as I began asking the Lord, what was that? Because it did feel like it was kind of inspired from the Holy Spirit as I was praying. I kept using the word. I'm like, it just doesn't seem right. So to the prayer group I was with, if you were like, that don't make no sense. I'm with you. It did. It, it seemed weird. I was the guy. You ever been in a prayer group where it didn't make sense? I was that guy this morning. Don't make no sense. That's, that's an old brother where art thou quote. <laughs> So I just began asking the Lord, okay, what, what is this? And, and it kind of unfolded a little bit for me. Um, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of oddly specific, and so here, here you go. If anybody falls in this category, I would love to pray with you about this. But it seems to me that perhaps there's somebody in the room who has a family member whom they have uh, 
made a decision at this point to not care for her. There's a family member that, that needs care. And there's some kind of, pre the sense I have is there's some kind of pressure from extended family to not care for this person. Um, and it seems like the Lord wants to create a little bit of tension within your family by you making the decision to go ahead and care for them anyway. Um, you know, tension is one of those weird things that's required uh, in, in the world, like music on stringed in instruments can't happen without tension if the strings are not taught. And I don't think that the Lord wants to like disrupt or, or harm your family. I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a strong negative. I just have a sense that God wants to create some beautiful music by His Spirit in your relationships with your family this morning. So as the band closes us out and plays the final song, if you feel like either of those two things apply to you, um, like you feel betrayed um, and you feel like you're hardening, heart, hardening your heart and it's hard to trust, um, Michaela would love to pray for you, as well as Sean um, about conflict within the family. And then um, I also just want, if anybody needs prayer in terms of feeling like they need to control like Samson did or, um, yeah, try to step in and take control in times when they feel insecure or um, like they're weak or, or they're sitting in their flaws, um, I feel like you can receive prayer as well. So we'll go into our last song. If any of those things you feel like relate to you, please go and receive prayer and then we'll close. Lord, we thank you that we, <laughs> you pursue us and you continue to pursue us and you're an entirely better judge than what we, what we read this morning, that you are always, you're always the one who does what's right and that we can always come to you. And so Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters uh, this morning and for this week that you would give them ears to hear that you would remind them of your care and concern and compassion for them, that you would bless their days and bless their week with your presence, with your grace, with your nudging, with your support, and with your strength that makes us strong. In Jesus' name, I pray. The church said, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Um, the, uh, the party's not over. We go out around the back and get to hang out. There's coffee and stuff back there. But please listen, if, if God was stirring something with you this morning, don't leave without getting prayer. Um, please go ahead and do that. And for the rest of you, we'd love to say hi on the back patio. Go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.